Well, good morning, everyone. I was with you all, if you remember, last July, but I drove a little bit different vehicle. I've got a white Subaru I'm driving instead of the motorcycle, which I would prefer. But um, And as I've just been praying for all of you, and I just want you to know, too, we have a we have some prayer warriors within our district who have and continually intercede for churches who are without pastors. They fast and they pray. We have 13 um, churches right now in the district who we're searching for pastors. And I just want to announce in the last six weeks, we've had five of them filled. So we're, we're really praising God for that and uh, praising uh, God for bringing uh, Dirk here to this congregation. And um, I, just one thing about your interview process, though. He doesn't ride a motorcycle. I, I'm not... But, you know, we can work on that. We can disciple him into that. And be good. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> but um, uh, for those of you that weren't here in July, my name is uh, Barry Vector. I'm the new district superintendent. I've uh, been uh, in this role now with uh, working with Greg for the first... Uh, uh, six months now, I've been on my own since January 1st, really enjoying getting to know the churches and the pastors last weekend, for example, I was with a church Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, just kind of doing a renewal weekend and so forth, and I've met uh, pretty much all of the 80 senior pastors now within the district. We have 80 churches within the district in Colorado, Wyoming, and uh, in southwest uh, South Dakota here, and God is really at work. There's a, a lot of great things that God is doing that coming out of COVID that I think we've learned together, and there seems to be a renewal of uh, what the Holy Spirit is doing, and we're looking forward to celebrating that. Um, here, uh, we have a spring conference every year, uh, April 26th and 27th. It's at uh, Faith Church in, uh, in Fort Collins, Colorado. It's kind of central within the district. And uh, I've invited uh, Dirk to come, and Katie, you're welcome to come too. We're doing something for pastors' wives uh, this year as well, and my wife would love to get to know you. Um, and uh, But anybody in the district can come to this, and really the focus is on discipleship, and there's just going to be a lot of good teaching there, things for us to really think about for ourselves personally, as well as for the church as well. And, and then we'll have a chance to, to introduce uh, Dirk and the four other pastors to the rest of the district, and uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. I just want to say, just officially, on behalf of the Rocky Mountain District, Dirk, we want to welcome you. Um, you, you are an answer to prayer. So thank you for hearing God's call here, and I look forward to seeing what God is going to do um, in your ministry here as you work with the elders and our real team in terms of your mission that you're living out here. Also, just want to also welcome on behalf of the pastors who are in South Dakota here. It is a great group of pastors as we meet once a month, and they're really looking forward to, to meeting you um, as well. Now, I understand last Sunday you had a, kind of a commissioning ordination service, and so I'm not going to go in that direction here. I just wanted to come today to, to welcome uh, Dirk to the district, but just want to thank as well uh, those who are a part I know maybe it seemed like it took a while to get, find uh, Dirk, but I think it's worth the wait. And um, so I want to thank personally the, the people who interceded in prayer and prayed in this church, the search team, um, and the, all those who are a part of that, the elder team as they led, and those who filled the pulpit here uh, during uh, this time. And I'm so grateful to God for you uh, listening to him and following him as well. 
And again, as I just uh, invite uh, Dirk to come up here in just a moment, I want to read from Hebrews chapter 13, and then I want to just uh, pray a prayer of blessing over him as he begins his ministry here. In Hebrews 13, verses, uh, let's start here in, in the end of verse 5. The Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. (laughs) What a great promise for all of us to remember, but... Dirk, as you come and begin your ministry, hear that as well. So let me just pray for you, if you could. Would you come up here? and Would you just extend your hands out toward him as well? Lord, I, I'm so, again, overwhelmed by the way that you work in your timing and your way. And we're so grateful for answering our prayers. And uh, Lord, as you have called uh, Dirk and uh, Katie to live in this community and be a part of this community of faith, we, again, just understand uh, just what we just read um, you're, you're the same yesterday and today forever, that you're building your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as uh, they join together in the mission that you've called them to within this, again, this community, and a part of the Rocky Mountain District, we look forward with anticipation. We thank you for your presence with us. It's the greatest gift that you give us, that we're never alone, you never forsake us. We thank you as well, Lord, that you've overcome our enemy. And we pray for protection over Derek as he begins his ministry. That, Lord, in this journey, as he, again, shepherds and he teaches and he works with the elders here, we thank you that your grace will be sufficient in the times that he feels weak and feels discouraged, as well as the times of great joy. And so, Lord, I just pray for your favor on him, for your calling on his life, that he will experience the joy of the Lord continually as he ministers here. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, good morning, Southern Hills. It's such a joy and a privilege to be with you this first Sunday in the pulpit as your pastor. just want to open by saying thank you for this opportunity. I'm so excited to get to be here week in, week out. But since it is my first Sunday in this pulpit as your pastor, before we get started, I want to ask for a favor. I want to ask you to be praying for me week in and week out, praying that I would be faithful to the scriptures, that I would divide them rightly, that I would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly as I ought to, and that I would speak by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God and the building up of this church. I need your prayers. I would ask for them. So please pray for me. Well, as I said, it's a joy to be with you here at this church and to be getting to preach from God's word about Jesus Christ. We at Southern Hills are a Christian church. We worship Jesus, our Savior and Lord, the promised Messiah. And our message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul says that he was, died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior And what he has done is our message. And so keeping first things first for my first sermon series with you, I want us to spend some time now through the end of Easter in Matthew's gospel. 
looking at these very things, looking at who Jesus is and what he has done. So we're going to, for the next three weeks, be looking at three times in Matthew's gospel where he predicted his own death and resurrection. And each time, as we'll see, he was showing his disciples then and showing us now what it looks like to follow him. But they didn't quite get it. And if we're not careful, we might miss what Jesus wants from us as well. So my hope is that those three weeks will help prepare our hearts, and then in Holy Week, on Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter, we will also remember and rejoice in what Jesus has done. So do please turn now in your Bibles to our passage this morning, Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. And once you get there, if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It says this, Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death, until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. My hope this morning as we spend some time in Matthew 16 is that we will see one thing crystal clear, that one thing will be said in our mind, and that is this. Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus calls us to follow him. Growing up, I played a game, perhaps you played it as a child, called Follow the Leader. Who's all played that? Okay, almost everyone in the room. So in Follow the Leader, someone is a leader, right? And what do you do? You follow them, right? If they do something, you do it. If they go someplace, you follow them. You do what they do, and if they hop on one foot, you hop on one foot. If they cross the river jumping from stone to stone, you cross the river jumping from stone to stone. And it's a pretty fun game. It's not high risk. It's enjoyable. But what I want us to see here is that as Christians, we are called to follow our leader, to to follow Jesus Christ. We are called to follow him on the path that he walked, to do what he did, to go where he went. But as we'll see, this is no game for us. Jesus makes clear that following him is a matter of death and life that will lead either to life or death. 
And so if we are going to follow Jesus rightly, if we are going to find life, we need to know who he is and where he has gone and what it means for us to follow him. So that's my hope for what we'll begin to accomplish this morning. The first thing I want us to see is that Jesus denied himself and took up his cross. Jesus denied himself and took up his cross. And the implication for us is that if we want to follow him, we also will have to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Jesus denied himself and took up his cross. We have to deny ourselves and take up our cross. We see Jesus' self-denial and his cross-bearing predicted in verses 21 through 23. The passage begins with Jesus showing his disciples, verse 21, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed. Up to this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been coming and he's been doing miracles, he's been teaching, and his teaching has created opposition. There have been religious leaders who have seen what Jesus is doing and they don't like it. They see him as a threat to their power. And so by this point in Matthew's gospel, they begun to conspire to kill him. They're plotting to kill him. Jesus knows they're plotting to kill him. Jesus' disciples know they're plotting to kill him. And up to this point in Matthew's gospel, Matthew ha- Jesus has sort of stayed on the outskirts in Galilee. He hasn't gone up to Jerusalem where his enemies are plotting his death. But at this point in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 16, verse 21, Jesus begins to walk a final stretch, a path that is going to lead him to the cross. And Jesus is going into this with no illusions. He knows exactly what's coming. Notice what he tells them. He says, look, guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem where my enemies are. And when I get there, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be killed. So Jesus isn't going in here without a clue about what's going to happen. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He is walking a path that he knows will lead to his death, and he is doing so willingly. He's doing so knowingly. Jesus is denying himself and taking up his cross. This self-denial is clearly on display in verses 21 through 23. Three in his interaction with Peter. Jesus tells the disciples, he says, look, I'm going this way. I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. And Peter says, no way, Jesus. That's not the way things are going to go. That's not what's supposed to happen to you. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Peter doesn't want Jesus to walk this path that Jesus knows will lead to death. Peter is trying to turn him from this path. But Jesus will have nothing of it. He says, get out of my way, Peter. This is the path I have to go. He tells him, verse 23, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus knows he has a path that is leading him to the cross and he says, I'm not letting anything stand in my way. And Peter, if you try to turn me from this path, this path that leads to suffering and death, you are a stumbling block to me. You are in line with Satan. Now that's pretty strong language, right? 
Jesus is speaking very clearly. Why does Jesus feel so strongly that he must go to the cross? Why can't he avoid this fate? Why is he walking into his own grave? Why is he doing this? Well, Jesus knew that he had come to save God's people from their sins. We see this at the beginning of Matthew's gospel when the angel appeared to Mary and said, You shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus knew that he was walking a path laid out for him before the foundations of the world, a path where he would go and offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross for the salvation of those who would believe. And so Jesus knows that there is only one way in which he can do this, that he must go to the cross. And yet he has no illusions that it will be easy. He knows it will be difficult. And earlier in Matthew's gospel, Satan, knowing that Jesus has to walk this path, knowing that Jesus is going to the cross, tries to turn him away from it. He tries to offer him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, if you just bow down to me, you can have everything. You can have a crown without a cross, Jesus. You can have glory without suffering. But Jesus rejects Satan's offer of a crown without a cross, of glory without suffering. Instead, he denies himself, and he takes up his cross, and he walks that path. And here, as Peter tries to turn him from that path as well, he says, Peter, I have to go this way. If you aren't going to get along with this program, you need to get out of the way. Jesus came and he gave up his own life for us. Jesus gave up the glories of heaven to take on human flesh at the incarnation. Jesus walked a path of suffering and death for our sake, for the glory of the Father. He denied himself and he took up his cross. This taking up of his cross was a path that involved suffering. When we look up at crosses in our culture, I think we kind of lose some of the the force of what's being said here. A cross in Jesus' day wasn't something nice and pristine that you hang up on the wall. It wasn't something you wore around your necklace. It wasn't a symbol of virtue or honor. It was a symbol of suffering. It was something used by the Roman Empire as a deterrent to both cause incredible pain to the person being crucified and to encourage others not to follow them. It was also a mark of humiliation. It was considered one of the most degrading ways in which a person could die. In fact, it was considered so shameful that it was reserved only for the lowest of the low, for slaves or traitors or the lowest in society. So Jesus is walking a path He's taking up a cross that he knows will lead to suffering. He's lowering himself for our salvation. And he's not going to let anything stand in his way. So Jesus is denying himself and he's taking up his cross, which he knows will lead to death. Now, Peter didn't, didn't get this. He didn't understand that Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, had to die. He believed, as many in his day believed, that the Messiah would come and the Messiah, the one who God had promised would save God's people from their sins, would come and rule. He would come and kick out the Romans and set up shop. 
And so there was a crown of glory in store for the Messiah. The prophets had promised it again and again. The Messiah would come and bless God's people. But the Messiah would also come and suffer. And Peter and many in his day didn't get that. They thought that they could follow Jesus and have the crown without the cross, have the glory without suffering. But Peter is told by Jesus that that's not the way it is. In fact, Jesus in verses 24 through 28 says, Look, guys, I am denying myself and taking up my cross, and if anyone wants to follow me, they must do the same. Let's hear what Jesus says, verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus says, I am going this way to my own suffering and to my own death. And if anyone wants to be my disciple, if anyone wants to follow me, you have to follow me on this path. You also must deny yourself and take up your cross. Jesus isn't a con man who hides the tough things in the fine print of the contract. Jesus puts the fine print in bold print. He says, if anyone would follow me, you must do this. It's a non-negotiable. It's not an option for super-Christians. It's not something you can do if you want to or you want to get an A-plus in your spiritual report card. Jesus says this is the calling of every disciple who would follow him. No ifs, ands, or buts. If anyone would follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. If we would be Jesus' disciples, we must go the path that he went. We must walk the path that he walked. And that will mean that we follow him on a path that will lead to suffering, to death, to humiliation. Jesus makes clear that this path involves self-denial. His criticism of Peter is that Peter does not have his mind on the things of God, but rather the things of man. Peter's focused on the here and now, on what's in it for him, on this life only. But Jesus says you need to be focused on the things of God. If you are focused on living your best life now, on seeking your life to find it here and now, if you're focused on gaining the whole world, on becoming the most powerful, or living a comfortable life, or living a safe and secure life, Jesus says, if that's what you're all about, You're going to lose your life in the end. Following me involves giving up a desire to protect and preserve our own life in this world. It involves giving up, seeking to make a great name for ourselves, to gain the whole world, to become rich and comfortable in this present life. Jesus says, no, that's not the path I'm taking. I am walking the path to suffering walking the path to death. I'm taking up my cross, and if you want to follow me, you have to do the same. 20th century theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples then and telling us now. Jesus walked the path of death, and if we are going to follow him, we must do the same. Now, if that's where the sermon ended, this would be a sort of a downer of a first sermon from the new pastor, right? 
And if that's where the story ended for Jesus, if the path only led to the cross, that would be a pretty downer of a story, right? There would be no hope at the end of that story. It would be down, down, down to death, and that's the end of it. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of what Jesus predicts here in this passage. He's clear with his disciples. He says, look guys, I'm going to death. I'm going on this path. I'm going to walk right into the belly of the beast and the beast is going to chew me up. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. This is the path I'm going. And if you want to follow me, you have to go on that path. But he also promises great hope for them and for him. He doesn't end by saying, I must go and suffer many things and be killed. He continues, verse 21, to say that on the third day, he would be raised. He would be raised to new life. Death would not be the end for Jesus. And he also makes clear that because death was not the end for Jesus, it will not be the end for those who follow him. In fact, he makes clear that he would be raised to new life and that he will return in glory. Jesus was raised to new life and he will return in glory. And the payoff for the disciples is this, that because Jesus has been raised to new life and because he will return in glory, we who follow him will also be given new life and reign with him in glory. Notice what Jesus says. He says, I will suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. I'll be killed, but on the third day I'll be raised, verse 21. And then he tells them in verse 27 that he is going to return. He says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Jesus here is telling the disciples, he's saying, The cross isn't the end of the story for me, and it won't be the end of the story for you. He says, I am going to be raised to new life, and I am going to return. And when I return, I will be coming in all my glory. The angels of heaven will be coming with me and I will bring in a kingdom of righteousness and glory and salvation. Jesus here with this language of the Son of Man is drawing on an Old Testament prophecy from Daniel 7. You can turn there if you'd like. I'm going to read a few verses. In this prophecy, Daniel had spoken of one, a Son of Man, who would come and who would be given an everlasting kingdom a kingdom that would never end. Listen to what he says, Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel says, I'm seeing the Son of Man who comes, and he is given a kingdom that's never going to end. All peoples and nations will worship him. This is an eternal kingdom, a glorious kingdom. And here in Matthew 16, verse 27, Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, I'm that guy. I'm the Son of Man who's going to come back. And when I come back, I'm going to come in my glory and I'm going to usher in this kingdom, this kingdom that you're waiting for, this kingdom that you're longing for. 
He's saying, yes, I am walking a path that will lead to the cross, a path of suffering, of lowering myself, of denying myself, a path that will lead to suffering and humiliation. But it doesn't end there. I'm going to come back in my power and in my glory and in my kingdom. And the payoff is that when he returns, he is going to repay those who have rejected him, but also reward those who have followed him. Notice what he says in verses 25 and 26. He's just told them, if anyone would follow me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So there's this upside down way of living that Jesus is calling for. He says, if you are wanting to save your life now, you're going to lose it. And if you lose your life for my sake now, you'll find it. Now that doesn't make any sense if Jesus' path ends at the cross. If Jesus dies at the cross and he doesn't raise and he doesn't return, why would it be of value to follow him? There would be no life if you lost your life in this life. There would be nothing beyond gaining your life now. But Jesus says that the timeline is longer than just this life. He will return in this glory, in this kingdom, in this power. And verse 27, then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now, this word repay can also be translated reward. The language Jesus is using here is all language from the marketplace of profit and loss, of reward and gain. And Jesus is clear here that he will repay those who have rejected him. That if you do not acknowledge him as Savior, submit to him as Lord, you will receive judgment when he returns. But the promise is also a good one for those who would follow him. He's talking to his disciples and he's saying, look, if you follow me on this path to death, if you follow me in giving up your life now, you will receive life everlasting. You will gain your life and you will be a part of my kingdom. I will take you and make you part of my glorious rule and reign. He's saying, I will reward you. It's worth it to follow me on the path to death because after the path to death comes life. After your cross will come a crown. After your suffering will come glory. So take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me because in the end it will be worth it. That is what Jesus is telling his disciples. There is a great reward for those who follow Jesus on the path to death. If you follow Jesus, you will suffer. You, you may not die. You may not be martyred for your faith. But you may have to give up status. You will have to give up a comfortable life. You will have to follow him on the path that leads to death. But the future is secure. Jesus rose on the third day. Jesus will return. And so that's a cost that's worth paying. That's a life that's worth living. A death that's worth dying. But our Father knows that we are often weak, right? Who can walk this path of death in our own strength? We can't. We need to have a sure and steady reliance that what Jesus is telling us here is true. That he isn't lying to his disciples, that he's not mistaken. 
You see, if Jesus was wrong about his resurrection, if he's wrong about his return, then as Paul says, we of all people are to be most pitied. And I believe God knew that even the first disciples, even the giants of the faith, Peter and James and John, that they were struggling with this. As we'll see in the next few weeks, they still didn't really get it. We'll see in the next prediction that they still don't really get that the path to the crown is the path of a cross. They still don't really understand what it means to follow Jesus. But Jesus encourages them, and he says, I'm going to give you a foretaste of what's going to come. I'm going to give you a sneak peek, a trailer of coming attractions. I'm going to show you who I truly am so that you'll be able to trust me, so that you'll be able to walk this path to death that ultimately leads to life. We see this in verse 28. Jesus tells them, having just told them that he's going to come back in his glory and power, he says to them, verse 28, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He says, I am going to come back, and some of you are going to see me coming in my kingdom before you die. Now, this might raise some questions for us. After all, Jesus hasn't yet returned in in his full glory. We're still waiting for that, right? And as far as we know, all the disciples have died by this point, right? So did Jesus get the prediction wrong? No. I believe that what we see here is that Jesus is giving them a sneak peek so that they will be able to trust him. I believe that's what Matthew recounts in the next chapter in the Transfiguration. I'm not going to read that whole passage for us this morning. But there, Peter and James and John are taken up onto a mountain, and they see Jesus' true glory revealed to them in a way that it hasn't been. We read verse 1 that after six days, so just six days after, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. They see him appear with Moses and Elijah, and then they hear a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God is showing them, the Father is showing them Jesus' true glory on display that he is the Son of Man who is coming in his kingdom, that he is the one who will return at the end in the power of heaven with the angels in all glory. And he's showing them who Jesus is, giving them a glimpse behind the curtain so that they'll be able to follow him to the cross. So they'll be able to trust that, yes, this is Jesus. This is the one who will come and return. This is the one who will conquer the grave. Friends, we will not be able to follow Jesus on the path to death unless we have a sure grasp that Jesus has risen from the dead and that he will return. And that is a promise that all of our faith depends on, all of our hope depends on. And yet it is a promise that we can be certain of because of who Jesus is and what he has done. It is a promise we can take to the bank. We can invest based off of it. We can live our lives giving them up following the path of the cross and if we do so 
if we follow Jesus on the path to death, if we take up our cross and deny ourselves, we will also gain a crown of glory. We will gain victory in Jesus. So I want to encourage you this week, if you haven't yet turned to Jesus in faith, follow his path to come and die that you might live. And if you're on this path, if you're following Jesus, continue on that. Be willing to give up whatever it takes to follow Jesus, whether that be your life, your reputation, your comfort, whatever the case may be, we need to follow Jesus on the path to death. But we can do so because we have a great hope ahead of us, hope that Jesus has been raised to new life and he will raise us as well. Would you please pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the Son, the one who denied himself, who did not consider equality with the Father something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a slave. We thank you that he lowered himself even unto death and that he did so willingly. We ask that you would help us to follow this Jesus. Help us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross. And even as we do so, we rejoice in the fact that Jesus has been raised. Would you help us to trust you in this, to rejoice in who Jesus is and what he has done? And would you help us to live this life waiting for the day when Jesus returns in his kingdom? You have been so gracious to us. Help us to follow the path you've laid out for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we stand and sing, as I said, we're we're at the mercy of of pre-recorded audio. So at the very end of the song, it's, it's a little drawn out, so just bear with me on that.